Mother's Day. Let me join uh, those that have already expressed that. And uh, <clears throat> what better thing to do on Mother's Day than to be challenged from the Word of God? And <clears throat> believe me, we're going to be challenged this morning. So, well, I don't know uh, how many of you have had the opportunity to explore the area that's kind of between Glen Rose and Granbury. But if you've been down that way, chances are pretty good that as you looked in the distance, you probably saw the cooling towers of uh, the Comanche Peak power plant. Anybody ever seen that? Well, it turns out that the Comanche Peak plant, it's a nuclear plant, and it's been operating since 1990. And the statistics tell us that it generates enough electricity to power 1.2 million homes, and that's at, at average uh, electric rates, uh, which is pretty astounding. You know, and, and in doing that, what it does is it really demonstrates to us uh, the power of nuclear fission for something that is really good, something that is uh, very useful. Splitting the atom <laughs> can do tremendous good. But at the same time, if you've ever seen photos of the destruction of uh, Hiroshima or Nagasaki in Japan at the end of World War II, uh, or if you have ever seen um, perhaps an interview of somebody that, that survived that bombing, you also can appreciate how destructive the power of nuclear fission can be. So it can bring great good and it can bring tremendous uh, destruction at the same time. Well, the Bible makes it clear that the human tongue is something like that. You know, on the one hand, the tongue may be used for tremendous positive value. We use our tongues to pray and to sing, to worship God. Uh, the tongue is used for preaching, like we heard from Tom this morning, amazing preaching. Uh, for, for teaching, for encouraging one another, uh, for fellowshipping together, for serving alongside uh, one another and building one another up. But the tongue also possesses great destructive power. Consider these words from James chapter 3. James writes this, he says, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of life and is set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. So on the one hand, the, the tongue can be tremendously beneficial. And on the other hand, it can also be immensely uh, destructive. Well, when we consider the reality of the tongue's potential for that which is good and positive on the one hand, but also destructive on the other, it's not surprising that a book of the Bible that is uh, devoted to uh, practical godly living, the book of Proverbs, uh, would have much to teach us on the subject of our speech and the way that we use our tongues. You know, as I began preparing for this lesson, uh, I read through the entire book uh, just looking for verses that had something to do with, with the use of our tongues, with our speech, with our lips. Uh, and the list was well over 70 verses. And I was being pretty selective. There's others that kind of imply things related to speech, and I didn't include those. So it's a major topic in this book. But not to worry, we won't take time to look at all of those verses this morning. But we're going to look at a lot of them, I can assure you. Yeah, so, again, a major subject. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some uh, representative sample verses to touch on some key principles. And so this morning, our theme for our lesson is this. An essential mark of wisdom 
is to speak the truth in a way that consistently honors God. You know, you can take that statement, you can make it a lot longer, but if you kind of boil it down, that's what Scripture teaches us we're, we're to do with our tongues, is we are to consistently honor the Lord with it. We're to speak the truth. So, if our aim is to discover what the book of Proverbs has to say about speech that is consistently honoring to God, there's no better place than to begin with God's view of human speech. You know, there's just a handful of Proverbs uh, that make direct references to God related to this matter of our use of the tongue. But those verses could not be more clear as they form the foundation for all of the other Proverbs that address this subject. So, what is God's view? Well, first of all, we find that he hates lying and he loves truth. Turn to uh, chapter 6. Again, a number of the verses that, that we're going to read today you have seen before, and you know we taught through chapter 6 some weeks ago, so this will sound very familiar. But you notice chapter 6 starting at verse 16. It says, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among his brothers. So, of these seven things that God hates, how many of them are related to the tongue? How many of them are related to truth? Yeah. <laughs> You found three? Okay. Which ones? He hates a lying tongue. That's pretty clear, isn't it? He hates a false witness. That's also involving lying. Yes, yeah, spreading strife. You know, the implication there is, is, is the tongue is at work. Yeah, so obviously the tongue is, is really a big deal from God's perspective, particularly this, this matter of speaking the truth. You know, why is that such a serious matter? Well, in John 8, we read these words of Jesus. Jesus said this, he said, Whenever the devil speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so when we lie or we seek to mislead, or we exaggerate, or we embellish a story, or we do anything that shades the truth, we are being just like Satan. And that's a sobering thought, isn't it? This is what God hates. <laughs> uh, truth matters to God. And just to be clear, God doesn't just hear our words, but he also knows the intentions of our heart when we speak. We might say something but what's in our hearts is really something that is somewhat different. Uh, take a look at um, chapter 24, verse 12. 24.12 reads like this. If you say, see, we did not know this, does he, that is God, not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know, does he not know it who keeps your soul? You know, this verse is in the context of someone failing to rescue a person in trouble, and they respond to that situation by saying, well, we didn't know, 
But the reality is, God knows what's in the heart of the person who is saying that. You know, when we plead ignorance on a matter, we may succeed in deceiving other people, but are we going to deceive God? <laughs> Obviously not. He knows every word on our lips, and he knows whether we're being truthful or not. And also, not only does God love the truth and hate lying, he also hates corrupt evil speech. And when I say that, what I'm talking about is, is speech that is destructive in nature. You know, it might not be something that is untrue, but something that is, is just used for evil, used uh, for destructive purposes. Chapter 8, verse 13 says this. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. Now here, Lady Wisdom is speaking, but clearly she is vocalizing God's perspective. The perverted mouth is one that's corrupt. It's a speech that's given with the intent uh, to, to perform evil. Evil intent uh, is, is the idea here. And the perverted mouth, I hate. Chapter 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. So not only does God hate lying, but he also loves those who are faithful, those who are truthful in their communication. In fact, he, he delights in them. Obviously, the message for us is clear. You know, the implication is that for us, we must always speak truth. And that means a number of things. One of the things it means is that truth must always characterize our lives. <clears throat> Take a look at chapter 3, verse 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. It's pretty clear, isn't it? You might remember this verse from our study early on. This was obviously one of the uh, early studies that we did in the book of Proverbs. But to walk in wisdom is to consistently and perpetually speak the truth. That's what we're called to do. And so conversely, we are also to rid ourselves of all forms of deceit. Look over at uh, chapter 4, verse 24. Let me just have to turn one page. 4.24 says, Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. So all of our speech is to be straightforward. It's to be honest at all times. And to speak the truth at all times has great value because... Truth is everlasting. Chapter 12. Look at verse 19. Chapter 12, verse 19. Truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. It's kind of an interesting uh, combination there, isn't it? What it's saying is that the truth stands forever. The truth never changes. But... <laughs> What happens with a lie? Lies are very temporary. They're very short-lived because they're going to be exposed. You know, if not in this life, at judgment, they're certainly going to be exposed. Uh, there's actually a Hebrew idiom in this verse that literally says, the lies of the tongue last only for the wink of an eye. Truth is permanent. It never changes. Lies, they're, they're found out to be false, and it happens quickly. Truth also brings favor. 
look at chapter 16, verse 13. A joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. Am I looking at, I'm in chapter 15, excuse me. Chapter 16, this sounds better. Chapter 16, verse 13. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and he who speaks right is loved. So the idea here is that uh, anyone who is in a position of authority uh, places great value on those who speak to them that which is true, that which is right, as opposed to someone who might seek to mislead them for their own advantage. You know, just think about working for a, a boss. Do you think that the boss really appreciates those who come to him and, and offers honest statements, always speaks the truth? You see, that's somebody that a person in authority can, can really count on, can, can really trust. And that's the idea here. Therefore, they're, they're under the favor of that person. Next, we see that truth is critical in legal matters. There's actually a lot of Proverbs on this subject. Check a look at uh, chapter 12, verse 17. 12, 17 says, He who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. Again, the subject of, of lying, uh, witnesses that are lying, witnesses that are false, uh, kind of comes up again and again. In chapter 14, verse 25, we read this. A truthful witness saves lives, but he who utters lies is treacherous. You know, truth in the courtroom is vital and it can save lives just as lies can destroy lives. I had an opportunity a number of years ago. I was uh, called to, to serve on jury duty. I got selected to be on the jury. And one of the questions that they asked was, uh, when they were selecting people, was uh, when you are hearing testimony, are you more inclined to believe a police officer or an ordinary citizen? And my response to that, which, by the way, I'll tell you right now, was the wrong response, I said, uh, I'm more inclined to believe the police officer. And the reason that I said that is I like to think that, that, that the police are, are upright and you know, they're, they're doing the right thing. Well, in the course of this trial, what turned out to be the case was the police had botched at what was supposed to be a drug bust. They had just kind of totally blown it, and they grabbed somebody who wasn't guilty of what they were supposed to be uh, discovering, and they, they made the accusation against him and he actually wound up being innocent of what they were charging with, but, but the police were covering up their tracks. And uh, anyway, God hates that sort of injustice. It's not that the, the police were outright lying, but they, it's a case of not telling everything that they knew, and it was very misleading, um, but they got found out. <laughs> so it was kind of a sad situation for sure. Look at chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 5. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will not escape. And if you look down at verse 9, you'll see a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will perish. You might think, well, that seems like a mistake by the editor. Why would they put the same verse, you know, just in the same chapter, a few verses apart? Well, when you see that kind of repetition in Scripture, it's a way of signaling that something is really, really important. 
this, this business of somebody who is witnessing, somebody who's giving testimony, it's critically important that they are truthful. You know, perjury in a human courtroom is a serious matter, and it's serious to God. And verse 28 of this chapter tells us why. Take a look at 1928. A rascally witness makes a mockery of justice, and the mouth of the wicked spreads iniquity. Is God concerned about justice? Yes, absolutely he is. Well, also, you know, in addition to this emphasis on truth, the book of Proverbs also emphasizes that words have great power. Turn over to chapter 10. Listen to verse 11. Chapter 10, verse 11 says this. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So from the mouth of the righteous, that is those who know God, those who fear God, those who obey God, those who love God, as we heard uh, this morning, uh, comes uh, the Lord's message of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the righteous do, is they speak of, of God and his grace. But from the mouth of the wicked comes deceitful words that are designed to destroy. And then turn over to chapter 11 again. Look at verse 9. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. So here there's a picture of a godless person engaged in some sort of uh, character assassination against his neighbor. Perhaps he's seeking to destroy his, his neighbor's reputation and in the process, perhaps his neighbor's livelihood. But what this verse is telling us is the righteous person knows that this slander is not true and he refuses to go down that path. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, that is, through knowing that what is being said is, is false, through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. He's not going to buy that story. Look at verse uh, 11, same chapter. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. Again, you just see how strong the language is, you know, this figure of, of speech. Uh, you know, words have the power to influence whole societies. The expositor's commentary describes the blessings of the upright as being this. It says, uh, these are beneficent words and deeds that bring enrichment to the community. And then the writer continues with this. But the words of the wicked have a disastrous effect on society endangering, weakening, and ruining it with demoralizing, slanderous, and malicious criticism. Are we witnessing any of that in the United States right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just, as you're teaching this, I just keep thinking about the media. Yeah. And it is no longer anything close to objective. It has become a, a, a mouthpiece for political parties who do nothing but create false Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. It's true. How about chapter 17, verse 4? Turn 
over a few pages. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. So here's another example of the destructive power of words. You know, the, the wicked feed off of each other's words because they each like what the other one is saying. So when you get wicked people to, together, they, they kind of amplify each other, and the darkness grows yet darker as they, as they feed off of what one another is saying. Well, let's look at just one more verse that I think sums up the power of words very effectively. It's in chapter 18, verse 21. Listen to this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love it will eat its fruit. The it there is talking about the tongue. Who is it that loves the tongue? Yes, it's those that like to talk. <laughs> yeah, and so what this verse is, is, is saying is... Um, uh, well, I'll ask you, the, the person who, who loves to talk, um, what's going to happen according to the end of the verse? Well, it says that those who love it will do what? They'll eat its fruit. Okay, well, what kind of fruit? Well, that's in the first part of the verse, death and life. So the person who likes to talk can do one of two things. Their talking can be beneficial. I mean, it can be really positive fruit for other people. Or their talk can be really destructive and bring, bring death to, to other people. Again, the, you know, the point is that words can be very destructive or words can be very encouraging. And the idea is we need to choose our words very carefully, especially if we're one, ones who, who uh, like to talk. So... Based on these foundational principles uh, that we've looked at of God's perspective on our speech and on the importance of speaking the truth and recognizing how powerful uh, the impact of our words uh, really is, let's consider some specific principles of God honoring speech. You know, we said that our, our theme was what we need to do is we need to speak consistently, truthfully, in a way that uh, honors God. Well, how do, we, how do we do that? So let's look at some specific points. First of all, we need to recognize that words are a window to the heart. Go back to chapter 6 once again. And if you look at verse 12, chapter 6 verse 12 says, a worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore his calamity will come suddenly, instantly he will be broken and there will be no healing. So when you look at this description, you know, verse 12 makes it really clear that uh, how do you recognize this person? A worthless person, a wicked man, is one who does what? He walks with a perverse mouth. You see, what comes out of a person's mouth reflects what's on the inside, what's in their heart. Obviously, we could look at some New Testament references that say basically the same thing, but uh, certainly the principle here is, is clear. That what you hear a person saying is a reflection of what's in their heart. 
Secondly, and this won't shock you, don't engage in boasting. Chapter 27. Chapter 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Does that sound familiar? Recognize that verse? Yeah. Yeah. This is the verse that uh, James quotes in James chapter 4, that only God knows the future, and so we need to be careful that we don't presume to know far more than we actually do. And that's why James counsels us to say, if the Lord wills, we will live also and do this or that. And he talks about our, our boasting being uh, evil. So we are not to, to boast. Look at verse 2, same chapter. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. You know, we all like to have people think well of us, don't we? I mean, that's certainly uh, human nature. I think uh, commentator Alan Ross makes a good point on this verse when he writes this. He says, self-praise is a form of pride, even if it begins with little things, such as who you know, where you've been, etc., and it does not establish a reputation. So his point is that our reputation comes from what other people observe in us, not what other people hear us say about ourselves. So we need to, to be careful not to be bragging, not to be talking uh, highly of ourselves. Let other people talk about us, but let them judge our character based on, on what we do. I mean, that's how they're going to judge our character. All right, um, next one is your timing and approach matter. Again, chapter 27, look down at verse 14. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning it will be reckoned a curse to him. <laughs> yeah. You know, if anybody who says, well, there's no, human, no humor in the Bible has never read the book of Proverbs. There's, just, there's a number of illustrations like this one uh, that I think make us chuckle. Uh, you know, do you think the friend here might be uh, more than a little bit annoyed? <laughs> You know, it seems likely that the one giving the loud blessing woke up his friend, and now his friend considers that blessing to be a curse. Derek Kidner uh, makes the point from this proverb that this is what he says. He says, it matters not only what we say, but also how and when we say it. So the idea is that the use of wise speech involves not just what we want to get across, but also having sensitivity to uh, the person or persons that we are talking to so that the message can be gratefully received. We need to say the right thing at the right time in the right way. Next one. We need to guard against flattery. There's a lot in Proverbs on, on this subject as well. Flattery is defined as insincere or excessive praise and it's often a device that is used to manipulate people and so if you encounter someone who is gushing over you with praise watch out <laughs> you know that was a favorite tactic that we saw of the adulteress as we read in chapters 5 6 and 7 let's just look at a couple of those to refresh our, our memories but if you go back to chapter 6 verse 23 And let's see, verse 23 says, 
For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. And then if you look at chapter 7, verse 4. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend, that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. Verse 21, same chapter. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. And the same concept uh, appears later in the book as well. If you turn to chapter 26, we read this in verse 24. He who hates disguises, he, excuse me, he who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. <laughs> Beware of the flattering tongue. It can be uh, an effort to deceive and to manipulate. But, of course, the implication of this warning is that we need to guard against using a flattering tongue our, ourselves. You know, sometimes in an effort to encourage somebody, we might uh, be tempted to exaggerate our praise regarding something that they have done. But if we cross that line uh, where we begin saying nice things in the hope that someone will like us more or that they will do something for us, uh, then we are guilty of the sin of flattery ourselves. So watch out for flattery. It's a... It's a trap. Guard against gossip. Chapter 11, verse 13. 11, 13 says, He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. So the picture here is of someone who has, has some dirt on, on someone else and just can't wait to share it with others. You know, disparaging others is a sin, and such a person cannot be trusted. So if someone approaches you with some gossip, tell them that you don't want to hear it, and if they speak anyway, just make sure that you don't uh, pass it on. I don't know if you remember those of you that are old enough to remember the Hee Haw show. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, good point. I heard somebody talk about this once that in that show there was a song that went, I ain't one to be repeating gossip, so you better listen close the first time. <laughs> but the part. What's the difference between gossip and sensitive? Because sensitive is motive, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. I mean, gossip is when you're. Sh it's when you're sharing something about somebody else that, you know, it, it really isn't your business. Uh, and often it is something that is, is negative. It, it, it's, I think, often closely connected with slander to where, uh, uh, you know, boy, 
yeah, did, did, did you hear, you know, this bad news about somebody or did you hear what somebody did? Um, it's, it's just, it's not helpful. It's not constructive. Put Yeah, I don't know if you heard what Stephen said. It puts the person in an embarrassing light. You know, it's certainly, if you're saying anything that you would not say with that person right, right there present. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't share something. I mean, if you know of somebody, you know, let's say you hear about somebody that was just in an auto accident, and you're, you know, you're sharing a prayer request for them. That is not gossip. Um, but if you're just sharing some little tidbit that you have uh, about somebody, um, don't do it. Let's, let's continue here. You'll, you'll see, uh, uh, I think the issue becomes more clear uh, with a couple more verses. Uh, so, you know, the problem with gossip is it can be very appealing to the sinful human heart. Take a look at uh, chapter 18. You know, usually gossip is done to make another person look bad and to make you look good because, oh, I know, I'm on the inside track and I, I know this, but... Listen to uh, chapter 18, verse 18. Excuse me, verse 8, rather. Verse 8 reads, uh, The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. Word picture. What it's describing is, you know, have you been to a reception where they have some, some really nice hors d'oeuvres? They come on a platter, but they're really little. And you pick up one of those things, and you eat it, and you think, boy, is this good. But it doesn't satisfy <laughs> You know, the person with the tray, you want to follow them around and want to grab another one. <laughs> That's what this proverb is talking about. You know, and it, it's saying that uh, gossip can be very appealing to the sinful heart. Oh, you know, tell me more, tell me more. And it's, it's, uh, it's sin. It's destructive. The same uh, proverb, by the way, it's repeated in chapter 26, verse 22. Again, we've, we've seen when you see a verse repeated like that, it's like underlining it. It means this is something that's, that's really important. So how are we to deal with someone who is offering gossip? Well, first of all, uh, look at chapter 20, verse 19. It says, He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. So here you see that connection between gossip and slander. They usually are kind of kind of hand in hand. Just if, if you have somebody that you know that is characterized by this sin, stay away from them. That's really the idea. In chapter 26, verse 20, uh, we have another principle. It says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down what's the image here those of you who are campers <laughs> yeah 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 you know we we could put it this way you know somebody passes gossip on to you shut up <laughs> don't pass it on is, is is the idea here because yeah it just makes the situation work so Worse, it, you know, if somebody's offering you some juicy news, <laughs> let it drop. Um, if there's no fuel added to that fire, the fire's going to go out. Yeah. Also, we want to use restraint in our speech. There's lots of verses on this subject. You know, in chapter 10, we discover that whenever we speak, we need to use restraint and not get carried away. 
And verse 19 gives a clear reason why. So chapter 10, verse 19 says, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. You know, the more we talk, the more likely it is we're going to say something at some point that's going to be careless or it's something sinful, something that's maybe not really true or something that's unfair or something that's hurtful or something that's just not edifying. And so <laughs> we need to limit <laughs> how, much, how much we're talking. The more we talk, the more uh, likely we are to sin in our speech. Chapter 11, verse 12. Oh, by the way, I should also add that that doesn't mean we should just not talk. We're, we're going to see that real clearly as we get farther uh, into the, the passage here. Chapter 11, verse 12 says, He who despises his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding keeps silence. So this is talking about when there's conflict with a neighbor. You know, instead of verbally tearing into that person, uh, the wise man holds his tongue. So this is another case where the best course is to avoid adding fuel to, to that fire. The next verse kind of carries a similar idea. This is in chapter 13, verse 3. From the fruit of a man's mouth, he enjoys good, but the desire of the treacherous is violence. Uh-oh. Yes, I did. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Thanks, Barb. Yeah, when tempers flare, the mouth tends to open wide. <laughs> but what comes out is only going to make a bad situation worse. You know how easy it is when you've lost your temper to say something that later on you're going to think, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. You know, once the words leave our lips, you can't take them back. Instead of hurling ill-considered words, the point here is to slow down, think, and choose your words carefully. Chapter 15, verse 1. Here's a familiar verse. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, this is perhaps the most... Uh, quoted verse on the subject of using restraint in your speech. When we're dealing with conflict and emotions are running high, we need to bring this verse to mind. We need to use restraint in our speech, responding uh, gently, thoughtfully, kindly, seeking to bring calm to the situation. You know, what happens if we feel misunderstood or like we're being attacked and we snap back at the other person? Remember the fuel illustration? <laughs> Yeah, it just, it just makes the situation worse. It's like throwing gasoline on a fire. Chapter 17, verse 27. He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. You know, again, restraint in a situation where there's disagreement is commendable. But perhaps... Perhaps, sometimes it's best to just not say anything at all. Take a look at the next verse, chapter 17, verse 28. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. I have nothing to say about this verse. 
Well, we've seen the value of a gentle answer and of keeping a cool spirit. And in order to deliver a gentle answer when tensions are running high, it's essential to give thought to what you are going to say. Chapter 15, verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. You know, the two halves of this proverb certainly offer a strong contrast. You, you have undoubtedly uh, heard that old adage that uh, we are to uh, engage the brain before putting the mouth in gear. And uh, in any situation, we're to give thought to what we're going to say. This is particularly important where there's conflict. To offer thoughtful speech that's helpful is the mark of the righteous. That is, a person who knows God and a person who is seeking to honor God. But what about the wicked? The wicked will blurt out whatever comes to mind, and the results won't be good. So in order to ponder an appropriate answer, it's necessary, first of all, to hear what the other person is saying. Chapter 18, verse 13 we talked about this verse a few weeks ago. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Again, you know how easy it is when we're having a conversation with someone to begin formulating the next thing we're going to say and we kind of stop listening to what that person is saying. And this verse is very clear that when we do that, our behavior is foolish and it's shameful. Well, perhaps... At some point, you've run across someone who gave you the impression that if any kind of thought enters their head, it's going to come out their mouth. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like that, where it comes out and there isn't any filtering that's taking place at all. Well, listen to how strongly the next verse condemns the person who does not give thought to what they say. This is in chapter 29. It's verse 20. 29, 20. And it says... Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So to be described as someone worse off than a fool is very strong condemnation. So it's pretty clear that the Lord calls us to think before speaking. Well, related to the idea that we should give thought to our speech is that we should avoid rash commitments. This is another passage that we looked at some weeks ago, but let's look at it again. This is in chapter 6, the beginning of the chapter. So here Solomon is speaking to one of his sons, and he says, My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger. If you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself, since you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Now, our mouths can get us into trouble, can't they? And it can happen pretty quickly. You know, the idea here is to not put yourself out on a financial limb. You know, this, this idea of being surety for the neighbor, uh, giving a pledge, it's, it's uh, kind of co-signing a, a loan, that's, that sort of thing, where you are making a commitment to cover 
what somebody else is borrowing. And if you don't know that person well, if it's not somebody that you're confident you can trust, like a family member, uh, the idea here is don't jump into a situation like that. So the broader principle here is that we're to avoid rash commitments that kind of sound good at the time, uh, but that may carry bad consequences when things don't go as expected. Because a, a, a rash commitment uh, can cost us financially or it may result in a damaged reputation when we have made some kind of a promise that we really can't keep. So we need to avoid being rash <laughs> with what we say. Also, we need to let our words always be for the benefit of others. So earlier I was saying, you know, you might read that one proverb that says, you know, it's, it, it's better just be silent, <laughs> let's just not say anything. Well, we're not called to do that at all. Instead, we are to speak, and we are to speak in a way that is uh, encouraging, edifying, benefiting uh, other people. Uh, chapter 10, verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. So if as believers we're speaking words that are consistent with our righteous standing before God, our words have great value. That's the idea of comparing them to silver. Just think of your speech as being really valuable to, to somebody else. That's what we're uh, looking for. That's what our, our motivation needs to be. You know, verse 21 describes such speech as being nourishing and beneficial uh, to whoever receives what we have to say. If you look down at verses uh, 31 and 32, you'll see uh, much the same idea. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous will bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. So we need to use our speech for the benefit of other people. If you turn over to chapter 12, look at verse 18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know, words can be really hurtful, can't they? You know, here another image, you know, compared to thrust of a sword. Or words can heal. So let your words not be rash words that injure, but be carefully chosen words that bring healing, that bring grace to whomever you are speaking. Chapter 15, verse 2. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. Look also at verse 7. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the hearts of fools are not so. So the idea here is that one of the characteristics of the wise is that they provide knowledge. Uh, it, it's the idea that um, they, they do that well. They are, they're good at explaining, good at, at teaching, as opposed to the, the fool who speaks nothing but folly. And the idea is that we need to let our speech be informed by the word of God. And when we do that, we're offering knowledge. We're offering words that are, that are really helpful, that are edifying. Uh, same chapter, verse 4. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, 
but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Our words are to be soothing, bringing healing, as opposed to words that are uh, perverted, you know, a term that means twisted, words that can cause hurt. In chapter 16, verse 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Have you ever been down and, and discouraged? You know, maybe you've just been through some, some really tough circumstances, and someone comes to you and they, they offer you words that lift your spirits, that really en- encourage you. You know, what a blessing it is when somebody ministers to us in that way. If we're struggling with something and somebody comes along instead of saying, well, you shouldn't feel that way, uh, they are listening to us, they are encouraging us. It's, it's so helpful when a person does that. It's so valuable. And by the same token, when we are able to bless someone else with our words, that is of extreme value. Chapter 24, verse 26 says, He kisses the lips who gives a right answer. Well, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> you know, the... The first time I read this, this verse as I was compiling this, this list, I mean, the, the, the thought immediately came to my mind, um, you know, giving a right answer. I just pictured a classroom and somebody raising their hand and the, the, the teacher says, well, what's, what's seven times 14? And they give the right answer. That's not what this is talking about at all. <laughs> so having given you that illustration, wipe that out of your minds. Yeah, you know, the idea here is, it says he kisses the lips who gives a, a right answer. Um, what it's saying is that our words must always be true. When it says a right answer, what it's talking about is right in terms of righteous. It means truthful. And the kiss on the lips here has nothing to do with romance. Uh, in that culture, this was given as a sign of friendship. So the point of the proverb is that speaking truth, speaking what is true, is what a friend does. That's what this verse is is saying. And as we saw earlier, uh, timing is important also. Chapter 25, verse 11, it says, Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. There's great value in speaking the right word at the right time. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this would be, this would be offering uh, healing words, offering whatever is appropriate in a, in a given situation. I mean, it might even be words where somebody needs to be corrected. Um, but it's, it's really, really valuable uh, to, uh, I mean, it compares it to apples of gold uh, settings and settings of silver. Something that's of great, great value is a word spoken in right circumstances. And we'll talk more in a second about, um, you know, what those words should contain. But, yeah, you know, sometimes uh, we need to offer encouragement or we may simply need to instruct somebody with the truth. Sometimes we need to reprove somebody if they've kind of gotten off the path. We need to, to correct somebody who's heading the wrong way. And with that in mind, look at the next verse. This is uh, 25 verse 12. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine silver, so again, we're talking about something of great value, is a wise reprover 
to a listening ear. Well, it can be hard to offer correction to someone, can't it? <laughs> Sometimes it's easier to just, ah, let's just let it go. Uh, so, you know, sometimes somebody needs to heed wise correction. It's immensely valuable when we offer that. And this implies that we must know the truth of Scripture so that we are offering godly wisdom and not giving them human viewpoint. It also implies that the truth is to be offered in gentleness. Like an earring of gold, an ornament of fine silver is a wise reprover to a listening ear. If you look over at chapter 28, verse 23, there's another verse that sounds kind of similar. It says, He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. So what's the difference between reproof and rebuke? You know, reproof is when you're indicating to somebody that, hey, you know, you've kind of gotten off, off track here. You're not on the, the path that you need to be on. Rebuke is sharper. Uh, rebuke is, is to reprimand. And that can be hard to do, especially if we're speaking to somebody that, that we know well and love, <laughs> because it can, it can sting when we're offering that. As the Apostle Paul put it in Ephesians 4.15, though, although a person, uh, well, well, there he said we need to speak the truth in love. So although the person we are addressing may not like it at the time, you know, what does this verse tell us? In the long run, uh, it'll be uh, considered a, a very valuable thing. He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. Um, they may not like it at the moment, but they will appreciate it uh, over time. Also, speaking in a godly manner brings great benefit. This is uh, chapter 12. Verse 13, an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will escape from trouble. Have you ever seen this situation? Not, not that any of you have ever been guilty of this yourselves, or, or me for that matter, <laughs> of, of lying to cover a sin and then having to tell another lie to cover the first lie? You know, this, this, this pattern, this picture of one lie leading to another and then another and then another as the perpetrator digs himself deeper and deeper into a hole, that's, that's the idea in, in this proverb. Perhaps you've heard news reports of somebody who's done that. But. but what about the righteous? Does he get himself ensnared like that? You know, that's the snare that, that is being talked about in the verse. Uh, an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. In other words, one lie leads to another, leads to another, and, and he's, he's entrapping himself. But the righteous will escape from trouble. It's the idea that when we're speaking the truth, we don't have to worry. We're, we're not going to get into a trap like that. We're not going to get into a bind because, as we saw earlier, the truth never changes. So one of the great benefits of consistently speaking what is true is that it eliminates the possibility of getting entangled in a mess. A clear conscience is a wonderful thing. Chapter 14, verse 3. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will protect them. Words spoken in wisdom, words spoken in truth, will tend to protect one from trouble. Chapter 21, 
Verse 23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. The expositor's commentary summarizes this proverb this way. It says, people who control what they say are more likely to avoid trouble than those who speak freely. Therefore, one should say only what is true, helpful, pleasant, and kind to avoid what is false, destructive, painful, and damaging to others. I think that's a really good summary of this verse. Well, finally, the end result of godly speech is given in the first half of chapter 12, verse 14. Chapter 12, verse 14. Just going to read the first half of it. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words. In other words, the one who is careful with his or her speech, the one who honors God with their lips, will be under God's blessing. That's the idea of this verse. That when we are guarding our speech, when we're thinking before we speak, and when we're seeking to, to, to encourage and to edify and, and to teach, we are under the blessing of God. That's the ultimate benefit. What better place could we be than that? Well, you know, last week we studied Proverbs 31, and we saw that in it there were, there were two poems that illustrated what it looks like to apply God's wisdom to specific situations. And we, we concluded that applying uh, Proverbs to life involves kind of choosing an area of focus and then reading through the book to identify Proverbs that speak to whatever the issue may be. And that's exactly what we've attempted to do this morning. And obviously this topic is a really, really big one, lots of verses. But my prayer is that the Lord will bring appropriate verses to our minds when we find ourselves in any of the situations uh, that we've discussed this morning. Perhaps not all of these verses are addressing you right, right where you are, but perhaps there are some that, uh, that will come to mind when you're in a particular situation. In terms of broad principles, we've seen that uh, God hates lying and corrupt evil speech. Therefore, we are called to always speak the truth. We've seen that words have real power, both for good and for harm. And then we've also considered a series of specific points of instruction regarding the use of our tongues. And I won't take time to go back through them because it's a pretty long list. But uh, obviously, uh, this will be posted online, and uh, you'll be able to, to look up these references later on if you would like to, to do so. So how can we summarize what God-honoring speech looks like? Is there a way that we can take all this stuff that we've talked about and kind of put it together uh, into a uh, summary that we can get our hands around? Well, the Apostle Peter, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives what I think is a fitting summary of the major points that we've talked about this morning. And it's in 1 Peter chapter 3. And this is what Peter says. He says, to sum up, so he's giving a summary here, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. How many of those things have to do with our speech? Kind of all related to our speech, aren't they? To be harmonious, getting along with other people, sympathetic, giving a listening ear, speaking a, a, a kind word, being brotherly, kind-hearted, being humble in spirit, not prideful. 
everything that we've talked about kind of, kind of fits into these categories. And then he goes on to say, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. <laughs> Again, we're not to respond the way uh, people may speak ill uh, to us. But giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. And then he gives a quote from Psalm 34. He writes this, For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Is our speech important? Does it matter to God? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It is key. Well, let me close us in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, indeed, as, as we've seen, this is a really big subject. There's just so many aspects to uh, our, our speech and uh, the power of it to uh, either do that which is good and helpful and soothing or that which is hurtful and harmful. And Father, our desire is uh, to grow in our control of our speech, our restraint of our speech. Our desire truly is to, to honor you with our words, to honor you with what we have to say. Uh, but Father, we cannot do this ap apart from uh, your work in our lives. Um, Father, we recognize that, first of all, we must belong to you as one of your children uh, and therefore be um, controlled by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that through your Spirit's power, you would convict us when we are uh, straying into things that we've talked about this morning where uh, we're saying things that maybe aren't accurate or saying things in a way that's harsh, not helpful. Uh, so Father, I pray that you would convict us when those things happen and I pray too that you would um, and encourage us and teach us how to be helpful with our words, how to be healing with our words. Uh, for our desire is to, to please you in all things. And Father, we, we, we pray, especially on this point of uh, controlling our speech, that we, our speech would be uh, conducted in such a way that you would be pleased, that you would be honored, ultimately that you would be glorified. And we pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.